0: Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in a workplace, life, and a larger world. I'm your host, Jay Johnson. Thank you for joining this week's edition where we're going to talk about anxiety. I am joined by some behavioral all stars from COEUS Creative Group. Say hello to Mark Garrison. Hello. Madison Bennett. Hi. And of course, our Stephanie Sim. Hi there. So, I want you to take a moment and close your eyes, if you would, with us. And I'm going to walk you through a scenario here. I want you to imagine you're sitting in your office and you're just kind of doing your work and all of a sudden you get a phone call and as you reach down to pick up the phone, you just kind of feel, you know, something's not exactly right. You're not sure what inside you is telling you that, but you're starting to feel that wave of emotion saying this is not going to be a good phone call. As you pick it up, your boss or your supervisor says, "Hey, I need you to come down to my office. Something's happened." Now all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're finding yourself panicking, wondering, well, "What what could have happened? Is this is this related to my job? Am I going to lose my job? Am I am I in trouble? Did something occur? Did somebody do something?" I And all of these thoughts and these panicky things start popping up into your head. And as you start to walk down the hall, you notice that you've got these sweaty palms and that your heart rate is just massively increasing. And as you walk into the office, you're confronted by a scowling look by the person that holds your livelihood completely in their hand. It says, what did you do? And you look and you're you're escaping you're trying you're doing desperately doing everything in your power to think of what this could be about you've really made a mistake here you know something bad is happening and that's when you see security starting to come in over your shoulder now you know that you haven't done anything illegal what could security be doing here but you start to see these two large brooding people approaching over your right shoulder and you notice them walking with a hurried pace And all of a sudden, as they come up and just about to put your hands on you, you wake up. In that visualization, maybe you could imagine yourself in a situation where your heart rate and your palms and your breathing all of a sudden started to get into a place of panic and thinking, what are all these things that could be going on, these uncertainties, these lack of knowledge? And that's an experience of anxiety. The trauma and the existence of anxiety inside of us has an impact on the way that we behave and the way that we manage in the outside world. So let me bring you out of that visualization. And obviously, you know, we don't want to go too far into things that create additional anxiety for us. But in some cases, it's actually been shown to address these anxieties can actually impact and reduce the amount of anxiety that we feel for it in the future. Here's a very quick way. So let's get us all back on the even keel. We're gonna do a quick breathing exercise together. If you'd go with me, we're gonna take three deep breaths in through the nose, holding for just a second and releasing through the mouth. And the release is gonna be a little bit longer than the actual inhalation. So as we're gonna go through this process together, and I'll give you the green light to follow along with me, I want you to notice where your body is at right now. Notice if there's any tenseness in your muscles, if there's any tenseness in your back. Where are your feet? Are they planted firmly on the floor? Are you connected to a chair or to the ground or to a moving vehicle while you're listening to this? Wherever it is, just be very cognizant of your surroundings and your awareness and how your body feels. And we'll take the first deep breath in through the nose. Hold it and exhale through the mouth. second deep breath in through the nose and exhale through the mouth and third deep breath in through the nose and exhale through the mouth now take a moment and notice where your body is at do you notice some of the tension maybe a little bit less did you notice that on the second breath you started to maybe feel a little lightheaded or some kind of sensation tingling in your skin that's the act of helping to reduce anxiety instituting more oxygen into your system helping to filter out different ways of the stress anxieties and chemicals that are flooding into your bloodstream all right team so We've now walked through a visualization exercise and a little bit of breathing exercise to get people back on an even keel. And uh, we're back at this place. But I want to ask you, like, what is anxiety to you? What is something that maybe makes you anxious? How do you define anxiety in your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the challenge is I don't really get a lot of anxiety.
2: How dare you, Mark? I'm so jealous.
1: Right? <laughs> But I also don't get a lot of uh, ranges in emotions or excitements or anything like that.
0: Yeah, for as long as I've known you, you've been pretty even keel. Has that always been the case? I mean, did you experience more anxiety younger or was it experiences that helped you to sort of limit those ranges? Uh, No, even as a kid, I was pretty
1: even keel in the middle of the road there. Never, never really was anxious or anything like that. Now there were things I didn't enjoy doing, uh, as a, as a younger kid, like, uh, public speaking, but I still did it. It was just something I just didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy being in the spotlight, but I wasn't, uh, afraid. I didn't, um, I wasn't anxious about doing it. I just something it was something I didn't like I also don't like broccoli but I'm not anxious if I have to eat broccoli
0: sure okay so that probably worked out pretty well when you were you know obviously in politics for many years being even keeled and being able to kind of manage those situations
1: right right oh yeah helped out great I mean a lot of people always said how can you be so relaxed it's election night or it's this or that or I've run events and and people are like You're the most calm person I've ever met running an event. And it's, you know, I plan, I organize, I prepare, but I also accept that what I can't control, I can't control and it'll be whatever it is.
0: And I've seen you at the end of both of those types of things. And I can attest to the fact that you are very, very calm in those types of situations. But let's hear maybe a different perspective.
2: Yeah, I'm super anxious pretty much all the time. Not necessarily more often than not, but maybe more often than most. And my anxiety usually comes from social situations. So I'm very concerned about what other people think about me. And so if there are any high stakes social situations, like um, starting a new job and meeting everybody, or doing a phone interview, or even seeing a friend who I worry is upset with me, my anxiety will spike before and after the event when I'm replaying the whole thing over and over again.
0: See, now that is so interesting because I would have never guessed that from the first time that you came into our office. I thought you were absolutely socially comfortable and, and not experiencing anxiety. So you obviously have some expert level management tips uh, that I'm sure that the audience is going to love to hear because even though maybe you're the duck, you know, where at the top of the water, you look perfectly fine, but under there, you're pedaling your feet.
2: Maybe. Uh, I think it was a necessary adaptation for me.
0: Madison, what about you? How do you experience anxiety?
2: Uh, I don't get it
3: socially so much, but... Um... A lot of times in like unknown things or like new things. Um if I'm doing something for this first time, especially in like higher stress situations, so maybe work. I'm giving like a presentation. That hasn't happened, but that is something that would trigger anxiety in me. Um I find myself to be a very confident person, but I don't like being in the spotlight. Um so any type of like public speaking makes me extremely anxious um, I about thorough. Well,
0: it's fascinating. You know, public speaking is one of those that is listed as the highest, one of the highest inducing anxiety activities that is out there. And, you know, I thought, you know, with my experience being a speaker and being a trainer and doing presentations all across the globe, but there are still certain situations and scenarios where I find myself like, Wow. I have anxiety right now or a a little bit of uncertainty and I've realized maybe a distinction in that. I'll I'll go into that in a little bit, but so yours is maybe a little bit more public focused or um, being out there. It sounds to me a little bit like all three of us or all three of you have some of being in public or being in the spotlight level of anxiety in different instances. Is that maybe a fair assessment or? I
2: think that's fair. I think that mainly what it comes down to, at least for me, is that I have anxiety about the things that I can't control. So I don't get it public speaking because I feel like I can control my performance. But when it's a social situation, I can't decide how people perceive me, and that uncertainty is pretty daunting. So in my experience, it's the more control, the less anxiety, and the less control, the more anxiety
0: okay and madison i i seem to think that you were in a little bit of agreement with that at least on the question of control what were you thinking there
3: yeah 100 percent. i'm a control freak control okay. freak all capital letters like <laughs> it's a horrible it's something i wish i could change about myself but you know roll the punches um i have tried and tried and tried to change that um because sometimes you know it's good to let other people take control. Um, I can't do everything. I'm not Superwoman, but I like to pretend that I am. So um, yeah, I get a lot of anxiety around similar situations.
0: Well, Madison, there's hope because I am also a control freak. And if you ask Mark, I would say that I have definitely reduced my level of needing to be in control of everything uh, over the course of, I don't know, the better part of 10 years. So there is hope. It's just a very long process. Um, but I find it interesting. So this concept of anxiety, and, and let's talk real quick just about maybe a little of the impact of it on our system and and why anxiety can both be life-saving, but it can also be very dangerous for prolonged instances. Part of the reason why it's life-saving is when we're feeling anxiety, usually it's around something that we can't control or something that we do have an uncertainty with. Um, Anxiety for the social situations and and wanting to be accepted is uh, it goes back to our intrinsic drives and our our need to be a part of a tribe or a need to be assimilated in order for survival. So our anxiety was really built in the systems that helped to produce survival functions for us. We became anxious when we were entering the cave because we didn't know whether or not there was a saber cut tiger, you know, hiding and lurking in the shadows. We uh, became anxious when we approached a new tribe because we didn't know if they were gonna be friend or foe. We were anxious when we were climbing a tree to go find food because we knew that if we fall, it could mean our certain death, you know? And so we've sort of evolved that survival system. And, and I say that because my anxiety seems to function very differently. My anxiety is much more of the fight. So when I start to get anxious or when I start to get uh, that feeling of uncertainty, it's for me, it's very motivating. It actually springs me into action. So in the instances where I start to feel like, okay, I am uncertain, I act and become extraordinarily motivated to try to manage myself or to take control, maybe in some cases, Madison, you know, like in a crisis or in a situation that uh, I don't know what's going on, I'll actively try to resolve some of that. So mine comes in more of the fight versus the flight or faint type of mentality to that. But when we experience anxiety, we have a lot of different chemicals that are being dumped into our body, including adrenaline, norepinephrine, uh, cortisol, which cortisol is the one that we always talk about as the dampening drug, the one that shuts down other parts of your body, shuts down your metabolism um, and diverts your energy to whatever is creating the anxiety, your security threat. Uh, it shuts down your uh, immune system. It shuts down your neocortex. So you don't think as quickly or you don't think as logically because you're driven by survival mode. Um, have you ever experienced, has anybody ever experienced anything where maybe uh, they had some level of anxiety and it created that sort of faint or that flea
1: Yeah, uh, I would say so. Um, interesting story. Couple, a couple of years back, my wife and I uh, were going to the jewelry store to get her ring cleaned and everything like that. And it actually got robbed while we were in there. Oh, wow. And um, it was one of those where I don't really want to say like I had anxiety. But I really can't say what I had at that moment because my body just did its own thing. And it was, I grabbed her by the hand and we got out of the store. And.
0: Seems logical.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, so my brain kicked in and said, all right, you're shutting everything else down and we're fleeing. Yeah. And so that was, uh, now for me, that was done. It was over, you know, we talked to the cops afterwards and all that stuff that shut down for me. Now. For my wife she still has a little bit of anxiety from that experience
0: sure a little trauma that occurred from whatever that situation or that environment was probably gives her a pause to wanting to step into the next jewelry store for better or worse right (laughs) so it actually kind of
1: worked out to my advantage in the long term right but uh yeah no in the short term that was something that yeah it kicked in and said we're getting out of here and um like I said, I didn't have anything long-term afterwards, but there's still some anxiety for her going back to that store. So now I take her ring in to get cleaned or checked or anything like that because she doesn't want to go back.
0: And I mean, that makes total sense. I think that that would probably bring anxiety for just about anybody. And, uh, (laughs) I think that that would be a very good and normal response. So, Um, Now, my first thing when talking to the store was, hey, do we get any
1: kind of discount? And they told me, no, they just gave away all their free stuff for the night.
0: (laughs) That's a great response on their part. (laughs) It was. It was. I was not disappointed by that. So I was, I was happy with it. You know, when we look at things that induce anxiety and it's different for everybody. So whether you're in the middle of a store that's being held up or whether it's getting on an airplane, whether it's, uh, you know, driving in a car, whether it's eating certain foods, whether it's talking to certain people. I mean, there's so many different things that drive anxiety. But I think one of the things that's really important is maybe defining anxiety even a little bit further. Like how do we know it's anxiety? Because interestingly enough, and what neuroscience has started to show us is the body reacts the same way to anxiety as it does to excitement so for example if you're super excited and it's say it's your birthday and there's a big surprise party and people got you the best gifts and you're so excited the same body reactions actually occurs if you're anxious you might have a shortness of breath you might have uh uh, sweaty palms or you might have like fidgetiness or anything else like that like adrenaline induced energy can come from that level of excitement as well so how do we define anxiety versus something like Uh, being overwhelmed or just general stress or uh, even excitement, I guess, in that question. Is there anything that maybe tells you that you're experiencing anxiety more so than any of those others?
3: It's a good question. It's a really fine line you walk along all of those things. (laughs)
0: when you're walking that fine line how do you know or how do you find yourself transitioning like okay this is now turned from stress into anxiety or this is now turned from um, anxiety into just straight up being overwhelmed what might be some of those cues that you experience
2: i'm sure it differs based on the person but i'm going to get really abstract and uh, annoyingly into analogies here
0: the abstraction
2: maybe the symptoms of anxiety and excitement are similar but i could never confuse them because the moods and the feelings of them are so different if i'm excited i feel like there is a balloon in my chest and it's expanding and filling up and uh and reaching higher and it is the color yellow or like sky blue but with anxiety, I just feel like I have rocks in my stomach, in my lungs, and I can't breathe, and I can't eat. So it's like gray and rocks or sky. Those two are on totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And stress would be like anxiety light, the, the diet coke of anxiety. So the rocks aren't there yet, but you might feel a little pressure in your head or in your neck. It hasn't dropped down to rock level yet. I know that might not make sense, but that's just how it feels to me.
0: No, I I don't know that I've actually heard an analogy that sort of like delineates even as far as color like that, that feeling. But I do know that a lot of people that are under severe anxiety or anything else have experienced sort of like a gray feeling. And they've said that and like, I don't know, I just feel gray right now. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? And not really understanding it, but I I see the the contradiction between the two different states that you had talked about. I think that's really uh, eye-opening. What about you, Mark? Is there a difference between, on a a lighter scale, you know, somebody that doesn't have the same levels of anxiety, is there a nuance or something that you notice in between anxiety or being overwhelmed or being stressed? Because I have seen you experience stress before. I don't know if I would call it anxiety, but you know, where does that nuance or where does that line fall for you?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, my entire work history is, is stress. Sure. Um, from even as a kid working in a theater, um, I was working in a theater, but I was in charge of lighting and sound. So if I made a mistake, people couldn't hear the people on stage or they wouldn't be able to see anybody. So uh, as a 16 year old, that was definitely more of a stressful position than most of my other fellow friends and colleagues and classes um, to running political campaigns and running events, you know, nowadays. So that level of stress is, is a factor. Um, I don't know where the fine line is um, because I look at things in which can I control it or not control it? And I think where a fine line where where anxiety might come into play is when I forget to do that, or when someone forgets to to look at it in that perspective and thinks that the scenarios are controlling them,
0: okay well, and it's interesting that you talk about that in that angle too, especially. With Madison and I both acknowledging the fact that we try to control everything. So there are definitely instances that I know that we can't. And taking a look at it from even that perspective of saying, stopping yourself and and pulling back and saying, wait a second, this isn't a place that I can control. And therefore, I should not feel anxious. It's a really logical approach to kind of addressing that. It's interesting.
1: And a lot of people would say I take logical approaches on handling things
0: too. So that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Madison, what about you? How do you how do you notice a transition or where do you start to say, okay, this has gone from one instance to a full blown instance?
3: I get a similar feeling as Stephanie, but more so in my stomach. It's like this. I don't want to say pit like it's just like this, like overall feeling that you just like I can't shake it. Um, cause like I said, there's a very fine line between like feeling nervous and stressed and feeling anxious. They're all very similar, but, um, for me, stress is just like, for, it comes off as like anger kind of, <laughs> I'm not very nice. Um, and then with nervousness, I get the the sweaty palms, but I can like feel that difference that like switch when I, I'm getting anxious. It's almost like, um can't sit still, I have this pit in my stomach, in addition to having sweaty hands, because that just is an overall thing between being nervous and anxious, but it's, like I said, it's this feeling I can't, like, shake, Um, and, yeah, that's when I know it's there, is when I start getting that, like, pit feeling in my stomach.
0: So, it's so interesting that you guys say that, though, because there's an entire concept, that's talked about like gut intelligence and we've all heard, "Oh, it's my gut instinct, it's my, you know, whatever. But they actually talk about your gut being a second brain inside of your body. And this is this is something that they've been talking about uh, a lot more recently. And what it does is your your stomach is actually linked to some of the most reptilian parts of our brain, some of the most ancient, ancient parts of our brain and Interestingly enough, and and they've done this with some uh, EKGs and the MRIs and the fMRIs uh, to really kind of map and look at the way that the brain reacts to something. If I were to give you some rotten fruit to eat your, there's a certain part of your brain that would light up because it's disgusting. And that part is actually connected to that gut instinct, that gut stomach. But interestingly enough, That if I told you something that was morally disgusting to you, that was something that was just outside of your code of ethics, the same part of your brain would light up as if you were to eat something like the rotten fruit. And there's a really interesting concept there because what you're talking about is the physical and the sort of emotional or higher level cognitive morality has the exact same impact. And part of that is that feeling inside of the gut, when we know something is morally wrong and we just feel sick to our stomach, that's the same part of the brain as if you were actually to eat something that would make you sick to your stomach, interestingly enough. So maybe this whole anxiety thing is a lot more physical and a lot more you know, tangible even in some cases than we may give it credit for. Maybe those feelings of rocks or those feelings of uh, you know, those feelings of rocks or that feelings of tension, those are pretty real things. And obviously they're real symptoms, but they're playing with the same parts of your brain as though you were necessarily eating something rotten and reacting to it. But let's take a step back, right? Because we're these behavioral people. We like to talk about solutions along with these, and you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the symptoms of shortness of breath or the tightness and the sweaty palms. and you know, mine personally, I, I shake, like I shake. And it's, it's a very, it's an interesting shake. It's not like, you know, sometimes like when people are like, oh, I'm so afraid that my knees were shaking or that my body was shake. Mine is, like I said, it's, it's much more of the fight. It's much more of the aggressive. So it's like a shake, like running into action. Like I'm so ready and just hyped up to just jump and go. So maybe I would have made a great, a firefighter or somebody that, you know, just rushing in there. Cause I, I don't know. I've survived this long, thankfully with, despite, you know, these inefficiencies.
1: What about a reaction? Cause as you guys were talking, it popped into my head, shortness. And I'm not talking about shortness of breath, but shortness in uh, responding or response. So someone who might have, um, might be experiencing high anxiety at a moment. They might just, if you ask them a question, they might say, I I just can't right now. Or control freaks will often be real short in their response. I know when I'm stressed, it's uh, a very calculated, you're not part of what I need to do right now, so leave me alone, uh, type of processing and management. And so for a lot of people, it might come off as I was real short with them, but they weren't a factor in what I was trying to resolve at the moment.
2: That sounds like a type of tunnel vision and intense prioritization of what you view as essential.
1: Yeah, I wonder if the brain's kicking in going, here's how you're going to deal with it. And Jay, speaking from experience of working with you when you're stressed or overwhelmed, there is a factor of shortness that you experience too. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is that a fine line between stress and overwhelmed and anxiety or is this a body reaction or symptom to
0: anxiety yeah i think it can be it's interesting you say that so for me personally i know that like if i'm under if i'm stressed i laser focus and can completely tune out every other thing to get whatever it is done and particularly I'm not just talking about like work stress, but I'm talking about like, if I am stressed, then it's okay. I can turn into the machine, tunnel vision, hundred yard stare, nothing, nothing in the front of me is going to get stopped. And there has been points in times when I have maybe just maybe been slightly insensitive and, or, you know, considered not compassionate because of that level of stress. So I, I, I hear you on that. And I think that part of it for me is, and you know, obviously I've not been like clinically tested, but I would say that the uh, stress anxiety drug that hits me more so than the others is adrenaline. And when my adrenaline spikes, and when my adrenaline jacks up, and this is true, even like when I was playing hockey or when I was doing mixed martial arts, all of a sudden, like the strength, the focus and everything else, massively increases. And I know you've seen me pick up things that I probably shouldn't have been picking up before, but all of a sudden, once that, that chemical cocktail hits me, it's that shaking, that drive forward. It's like, I have all of that energy inside of me and it just has to get out. So I've managed to learn how to move those towards productive things, but I think, yeah, it becomes very short. Like this is not essential. This is drive forward and go. So that's a really interesting observation i think that when people have different levels of stress or anxiety we might even see those at different levels right like so as one goes up and one goes down we see different mental reactions from people we see disengagement where people just say you know what i've got no energy today i can't do anything today or i don't want to see anybody today all the way to We see the people that hyper-aggressively go out and try to be social or try to uh, make interactions or connections with people. How does that play for you guys? Like if you're in that stress, that anxiety state, um, do you want to be around people or do you want to disengage from them completely? Or does it vary?
3: I definitely want to disengage.
0: Okay. Which is funny because you're a very social, you're a very extroverted person, so in that moment of stress, it's a disengagement function.
3: Yeah. um, At least like with feeling wise, I've, I've always been very closed off like emotionally. So I don't like people to like see me in when I'm like distressed or feeling anxious or basically anything other than just like my normal self.
0: Well, I was going to ask, is that for your (laughs) safety or for theirs? Because I could see either of those being true.
3: It goes both ways, you could say. Okay. (laughs)
0: What about you, Stephanie?
2: Um, it's It's kind of a both thing. So I disengage with people who I am not 100% comfortable with. But if I'm totally alone, I will torture myself. So I have specific people that I need to go to. So I carefully choose the people that I want to surround myself with in those moments.
0: I think that's really really intelligent too is i mean what you basically just said is the people that you choose to associate with are a choice and behavior is a choice as we always say so knowing where that's at and being able to execute that strategy that's that's a good thing uh, See, i don't that's that.
1: a it, that's a yeah. tough one for me because as an introvert i don't always choose to be around the people to begin with but if i'm in a high stress, overwhelmed anxiety stage, the energy that my body is using is probably more so dealing with those things. So the introvert side kicks in and probably a little more isolation. So that way I'm not using the energy that I would use to interact with people. So it's an energy
0: conservation move. Which is funny because one of the places that you identify stress, potentially some stress is like, you know, events or campaign night, which ultimately ends up having a ton of people. So, and then I'm in a recovery, uh, for an introvert hangover for the next three days. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So we see these different reactions. We see some things like, and you know, there's some people that experience and again, obviously, when we're talking about this, this is not uh, an evaluative judgment. These are just observable symptoms and responses. But we see some people that go into severe sort of paralysis where they don't feel the motivation or they don't feel the ability to act on even the simplest things. And I've heard people that are in high anxiety even say something like getting up off of the couch was really hard. And that's not something that I've personally experienced, but I've listened to enough people people to, to at least know that that's something that's not uncommon. Um, You know, I don't, I can't say that I, I would know what that feels like, but it's not uncommon. And I've heard that reiterated multiple times. And then I've heard some people that, you know, when they experience these high intensity anxieties and stress, they'll go run a marathon and just Expend all of this energy or be like super motivated, clean their entire house and, uh, you know, go wash their car and everything else like that. And it's just like, are are you nervous? Are you anxious? Or did you just, you know, find the motivation bug and it bit you or whatever? So I find all these things interesting, but I think one of the most important things that we can do is talk about some strategies for how we can reduce this anxiety, right? Because Anxiety is useful, it's kept us alive, it helps us to survive, it lets us know that there's uncertainty, there's fear, there's you know potential loss of safety, but prolonged anxiety or the anxiety that can be debilitating can really have an impact. And I wanna be very careful here because none of us are clinical psychologists despite the fact that we study behavior. So maybe let's keep this in the context of how do you manage anxiety in the workplace? Or how do you manage anxiety and keep going what are some of your personal strategies for doing so? Not necessarily clinical diagnoses or anything else like that, but what are some of your personal strategies that when you feel that pang of anxiety or that nervousness that you jump out there and say, all right, here's here's how I'm going to do it or here's how I'm going to manage this today? What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, my first rule is if I can't control it, let it go and accept it. Okay. you know, I like uh, the, that. The results are going to be whatever the results are going
0: to be. You know, there's there's some kind of, you know, old prayer or poem or is God give me the, what is it? The God serenity give me
2: prayer. The,
0: yeah, give me the serenity to accept what I cannot change.
2: The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I knew somebody would finish that one for me.
2: Catholic school.
0: <laughs> so... All right. So accepting. I kind of like that. It really ties into something I talk about when we're doing dealing with difficult people training and is this the hill you want to die on, right? Like you're not going to change this. You're not going to change whatever it is. Can I just let this go and move on? And I like that. That's a that's a cognitive practice. Now, is that something that just came naturally to you or did you have to practice that? Do you have to actively like logically think about it when you start to feel those uh, anxieties rise up?
1: Uh, I would say it was natural, but I've fine tuned it with practice.
0: Okay. So, like, like now, I, natu-
1: we- I naturally started doing it, but then I, as I studied more about behavior and people, uh, I saw what I was doing and could acknowledge it, understand it, and perfect it, maybe.
0: So becoming aware of it then gave you the opportunity to slip this intervention in more intentionally rather than it just being a natural occurrence. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things is being aware and identifying triggers. Like if I can feel, I, you know, I liked what you said earlier, Stephanie, about, you know, maybe stress is that you can feel it a little in your shoulders or a little tightness, but it hasn't hit that rock pit gray bottom just yet. You know, if you can put the intervention in somewhere between those two things where it's stress and that devastating despair, being aware of what's created those small pathways is maybe the place that you're putting in those interventions, Mark, and it seems to be effective for you. It's great.
1: Yeah. The second one for me is confidence. And I know that's, that's challenging for a lot of people, but um, when I'm in a scenario if I'm performing in front of people, uh, training or speaking. And when I was younger, you know, like I said, I didn't like speaking, but when I had to first do it those first couple times, it was, well, what if I screw up? What if I forget what I'm going to say or anything like that? Now it's just, I have the confidence that it's going to happen. However, it's going to happen. So it's a mix of my first thing I just said and just mm-hmm. confidence to roll with it.
0: Yeah, confidence is something I can get behind, I think. I I can understand that one. (laughs) I've experienced that before, so I can speak to that one. What about you guys? Stephanie, what about you? What are some different things that you do to reduce the impact of anxiety or stress?
2: So one thing that I do when I feel anxiety coming on is that I start hydrating. So it's like, I'm gonna start drinking some water because I'm gonna need to be physically healthy. And this is kind of a new thing because uh, lately I've been having bouts of anxiety that last for a long time and I don't eat or drink and, and that just makes it worse. So now if I feel that coming on, I try to get ahead of it. And if I have to, I put reminders in my phone to eat and drink today. And I've even started, you know, always keeping a glass of water next to me or always having snacks somewhere in sight. That way I I don't have any excuses and I'm always near to something that will keep me strong. And I don't know if other people experience this, but that's just what's been helpful for me. Another thing is that I will prioritize tasks that are easy to accomplish that I can check off. I feel calmer when I feel I've been productive. So if I can check something off during the day or feel like I've done something, it will make me calm down.
0: Well, and I think that's really interesting that you say that. So one of the things that we advise is people who um, suffer from anxiety for public speaking uh, to eat something, not something heavy, like don't eat a 14 course meal right before you go on stage, but to put a little something into your stomach, even if it's a power bar or if it's a bottle of water. And part of that is, is because when we're hungry, or when we're tired, or when our first level of Maslow's needs hierarchy are not met, it can create more anxiety inside of us, it can actually cause the brain to go, hey, I'm hungry right now, or I'm thirsty right now, we need to eat, we need to eat. And all of a sudden, those signals are being pumped through the body in the same way as survival, you know, kind of signals. So doing that, I think is actually a really brilliant strategy. If you're able to kind of take a step back and say, all right, I'm going to time my hydration. I'm going to time my, uh, you know, my food intake. Um, I know that some people have found that when they, uh, when they're experiencing anxiety, one of the things that works for them is eating very, very natural foods. And again, That's something that works for them. I don't know if that's, you know, eating fruits, eating salads and berries and all kinds of things that are just very uh, vegetation or uh, natural focused has been something that has essentially had some kind of calming effect on them. And then the second thing that you were talking about, you know, that second strategy, I think that that is super fascinating. Tell me a little bit more about that. How does that, you know, where do you... Where does that play in? How do you push that into your approach?
2: I don't know. I think, well, I have a to-do list every single day of things that I want to get done and I get really stressed out if those things don't get done. So sometimes I just add things that are explicitly easy to do. So I have the satisfaction of knowing that my day hit those marks. And this isn't true, but I often feel like if I've not done enough productive things in a day, then I am not valuable or it wasn't a a worthwhile day. But it just makes me feel a sense of relief knowing I have achieved something, even if it was just sending an email or reorganizing the bookshelf or whatever else I come up with.
0: Well, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I am also very, very purpose driven and uh, checking the box for me in some cases is something that's very therapeutic. Like, okay, I've got this list of 400 things I'm doing and there are days when I'm going to eat the frog and I'm going to do that first and I'm going to take the biggest, hairiest, worst part of that thing and I have the motivation to attack it in the morning. And then there's other days where like, okay, listen, <laughs> these four things are going to get done. And that's about all I'm going to get done today. And, you know, I can accept that, but I do love clicking those boxes or I love checking those things off. So I can see that, and you know, that there's a, there's a part of us that, you know, part of our brain, our happiness, part of the brain releases dopamine when we actually check something off in the life. So that's a good way to counter some of those stress chemicals. Um,
2: right. And in some ways it also makes you feel like the anxiety hasn't won. It hasn't totally, um, taking control of my daily functioning. And I recognize that sometimes you just really need to take a day to feel your feelings and, and not do anything productive. Uh, but for me, it helps me to push against it a little and, and at least say, okay, well, I can do one little thing that I decide that's in my control. Oh, again, it goes back to control.
0: That's great. Madison, what about you?
3: Uh, Yeah, kind of on that, like, feel your feelings note, um, that is like some advice I got from a girlfriend last year. Uh, She's actually is a therapist. Um, But uh, I was going through a lot of stuff. And she kind of said to me, you know, let yourself feel these feelings. Otherwise, you're not going to have learned anything from it. So when I'm in moments like that, I try to think about what is causing me to feel this way. And what about that is making me feel maybe anxious or nervous? So maybe if I have like a public speaking event, which is not something that happens often to me, um, I'll sit there and be like, okay, well, what part of this is making me nervous? Is it the speech writing? Is it having to talk in front of all these people? Is it, you know, maybe the fear that I'll mess up or mispronounce a word? Um, So just kind of trying to not take control of the situation, but recognize, um, the feelings I'm feeling and try to figure out what is making me feel that way. Yeah.
0: So I like that approach too, because it's, it's not necessarily pushing those feelings away, which from what, uh, you know, a lot of science says is the harder we push back on feelings. The, it's almost like asking people not to think about pink elephants, then all of a sudden the only thing that they can think about is the pink elephants. So it sounds a lot to me like your story like the part of your strategy is listening to those feelings and saying, okay, well, why and obviously i'm a I'm a huge proponent of why and awareness uh so going down that now, how does that help in terms of like you have this public speaking thing, you're feeling a little anxious about it? You start saying, okay, well, why is that? And you come across maybe, well, I don't want to sound bad in front of the people. How do you maybe take it to the next level? I know I'm pushing you here, but how do you take it to the next level and say, okay, I've identified what the challenge is that's creating this anxiety. Now, what can I do to maybe address that a little bit?
3: So, say it's maybe with having just to talk in front of people, um, maybe calling a friend on FaceTime or Zoom and reading my speech to them, quote unquote speech, or it's, you know, I'm worried about the words, I'm going to mess it up, or I'm going to mispronounce something, or I'm going to skip a word, sentence, whatever, uh, recording myself doing that. Um, I am a firm believer that practice makes perfect also a firm believer in you just got to do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, you know, what? I can't sit here and practice for hours. I'm going to get my head too much. Um, a little bit of balance between those two things. Some practice, but then at some point you just got to do it.
0: <laughs> so maybe practice is part of what's building up the courage or the confidence to say, you know, I'm doing this. I I did it once by myself. I did it once in front of a friend. I did it on camera. I'm ready to just go and do this and just get it done. And, and be done with it at that point? Is that kind of maybe the approach there?
3: Yeah. I And I actually experienced this so much uh, when I was getting certified in this fitness thing I'm doing because we have to record ourselves doing certain parts of the workout um, and kind of like leading the class. So having to record myself and like just scream into the void of my basement because obviously no one's there. It's just me was just so like extremely nerve wracking and I was super anxious about like having to turn it in I was like okay it's not perfect I don't I need to re-record it then it got to the point where I was like it's not going to get any better I'm literally just sitting here doing the same thing over and over again I just need to turn it in so Mm. yeah that's
0: interesting yeah, for me, and in the way that I approach it, I kind of like to break it up into two different things. Like, is the anxiety about something that's right now? Or is the anxiety like on a larger level or the stress on a larger level? Um, if it's something that like, so for example, when I did uh, I hadn't felt anxiety or nervousness or anything else for a very, very long time, right up until 2018. And I was getting ready. It was like the six minutes before I was about to walk on stage for my TEDx talk. And all of a sudden it was just like, oh, that's, that's what that feels. I remember that feeling of anxiety and it just, it washed over me. And all of a sudden I started having all of these doubts, like, okay, you know, when I'm on stage, it's okay. Cause if I screw up a word, I can get the audience back. I can read their emotions. I can interact with them, but this is going to be like codified and it's going to be out there in the world and I'm never going to be able to change it. And this is my one chance. And all of a sudden I feel all of this and it came within just seconds and it was just, Oh, there it is. And so like, if I'm in that moment, the way that I try to manage the anxiety is stopping and taking a breath, but doing kind of the exact same thing that you said, Madison, was addressing it and just, okay, we're going to take a breath. We're going to breathe. And then going sort of into something that Mark had said earlier about remembering your confidence, like, okay, I know that I'm going to be able to handle this, even if I made a mistake or whatever else like that, what's the end of the, what's the worst case scenario that I have a bad video and it gets four watches and you know, somebody pokes a comment out there. That's the end of it. And kind of refreshing myself, like, what is really the worst scenario, which sounds kind of crazy when you're like feeling anxiety to go, what is the actual worst case scenario? Does it really make or break the biggest, you know, is this is this the hill I want to die on? And ultimately, if it's not, then it's like, okay, we can move forward. If it's something where it's not in the moment and it's a larger stress, I think one of the things that I have found to be the most effective for myself is to go into nature. Go for a hike in the woods, next to water in a stream, just a little bit. It doesn't have to be, and I'm not talking like go to the state forest. Like there's a, there's a golf course that is close near my house that walking even along the edge of the brush of the golf course is something that even centers me a little bit because you'll hear the birds and you'll see the squirrels or you'll see the different animals kind of moving around or whatever else. And for some reason that really helps to center me. Any final thoughts that you want to leave our audience in terms of managing stress, managing anxiety. And, you know, before you go into your thoughts, I do want to say, I'm, I'm always so impressed with all of you, uh, being open to talk about stress, anxiety, being open to talk about some of these challenges where, you know, sometimes we can feel that hesitation to do so because it's either embarrassing or we don't want to feel weak, but there's nothing weak about, being able to communicate these and confront these because we're not alone and everybody feels these things. So even if your voice, your words reach one person that helps them through a difficult time or a challenge, you should be very proud of yourselves for having the courage to be able to communicate so openly and honestly, because we're all human, we all experience the same things and we all behave in certain ways because of that. And I'm just so proud of you as as behavioral experts Sort of engaging in that. So, what are some of your final thoughts before we end this episode and move on to the next?
1: I think being prepared and practicing uh, the different behaviors that we've talked about is key. And you know, when it when it comes to the events and things that I do. I'm always prepared. I have different scenarios ready. And I walk through it in my mind. So I practice how that event's going to work or how that activity is going to happen, prepare, and then just accepting, I've done everything I can do. Let's see what happens.
0: You have a 432 pound backpack that I'm pretty sure has been equivalent of what Mary Poppins can pull out of a bag too. So when you talk about preparedness, I don't think I've ever actually asked you for something in some scenario when you've been like, you know, I have tinfoil in my bag. Hold on one second. Let me grab that for you. I'm like, why? And I can I can definitely see that as part of your active strategy and how how that can be effective. It works for me. all right so what about you ladies what's the last thought that you want to leave our audience with
3: um i would say uh just try to take it one day at a time um you know for some people it's shorter for some people it's longer when you're experiencing anxiety and i think with the current situation um those feelings are coming up a lot more so um take each day one day at a time, and tomorrow is a new day.
0: That's great advice, absolutely. Hit the reset button every now and then when you go to sleep and wake up the next day, it's you against the world again, and guess what? Today's your day to win it, right? That's great. Stephanie, what
2: about you? I would say that if this is something that really resonates with you, or if it's something that you wanna keep trying to work on, like managing your anxiety, understanding your emotions, Don't be afraid to engage with all of the literature and media out there that is helping people do this. There are so many great resources out there for you if you look for them. Uh, One of my favorites, I'll go ahead and say, is Brene Brown. Any of her work, her books like Braving the Wilderness, her podcast Unlocking Us, she's a real expert in um, understanding and managing your emotions, so that's one already that's one so go ahead and don't be afraid to look if you are still interested
0: yeah absolutely educating yourself reducing some of that uncertainty and finding new solutions definitely something that can help out you know the thing that i want to say is if you're experiencing prolonged anxiety and you're struggling to potentially you know achieve the things that you want to achieve don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to seek professional help in a variety of circumstances. I mean, we don't, we don't look down on an athlete that goes and seeks a coach to try to help them improve their performance. I don't know why we would ever look down on somebody that was experiencing some kind of behavioral or emotional thing. So if you find yourself in that situation, have the courage to make sure that you do reach out for help or that you're able to find those different resources, such as the ones that Stephanie's talking about that may help you Help yourself in that kind of scenario. Um, you know, anxiety is a—it's—it's it's a real thing. It's a real uh, situation that can, like I said, both help us in some instances for survival, but it's also something that can, you know, in a prolonged state or in a a truly uh, a truly devastating state, can have devastating impacts and consequences on our physical body as well as our emotional and mental health. So hopefully today that you picked up uh, an idea or two or something that you can maybe distinguish, you know, what is the difference between my anxiety and my stress or feelings of overwhelmness? Or maybe you can utilize some of these different tactics and techniques um, that other people are using to help you to mitigate some of that negative impact. But I want to say thank you so much for listening in and tuning into this week's episode of Behave Intelligently. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about COEA's creative group, visit our website or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time when we're going to talk more about Behaving Intelligently.